Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, for those watching on the live stream, we're having some issues with, I'm not sure if it's internet upload speed here or computer, we're trying to fix it. So uh, we know that there's issue there. We're doing the best we can. Hopefully we'll uh, get a good resolution. Hopefully it kind of catches up for you. But uh, it, it's good to be here with you. Last Sunday, um, I, I kind of left the gathering, the worship gathering together, feeling uh, a weird duality uh, in the emotions. I, I felt built up uh, and then kind of broken at the same time. Um, built up because I could sense the presence of the Lord was here with us doing work. Uh, December was a grind. It was difficult, but all of a sudden, Felt like God was in and amongst his people, just adjusting things, but then also broken down because when the Lord does his work in his people, um, there's often some uh, demolition that has to happen in our hearts at the same time. Another way to say it is kind of a renewal or, or awakening or, or uh, reviving of our heart often comes with a little bit of a form of correction in us. Um, after God breaks down what is old, he tends to build up and restore something new. And, and I believe that's a little bit of what was happening for some of us who were here in the gathering last week in a good way. Uh, and I'll be honest, my hope is that that will continue, uh, that that wouldn't be a one-off, just beginning of the year kind of thing, but that would kind of mark what is happening in us uh, for a while, that God it will work in us. What, what's really cool about that as well uh, is the reality of being built up and broken down shows itself in the text that we had planned to preach this week, uh, long before last week happened, meaning uh, God began to show us some kind of living examples of what we'll learn today before we ever even got there, which I just kind of appreciate and see his hand in that. This week will be in our second message from a six-part series called Vital Christianity, a series aimed at looking at the Bible and really asking some, some questions. What is needed and necessary, what is required, what is critical, what is non-negotiable to find life in our faith. And I want to be clear as we set the stage, this isn't going to turn into kind of like a Ten Commandments series or six weeks on the six rules that we absolutely have to obey. We're looking specifically at postures of the heart or tenets of Christianity that we are called to that then create beauty and life in our heart. A big problem for us that we talked about last week, and it'll be all through this series, is a big problem for all Christians throughout history, the problem that we easily fall into patterns of going through the motions, of participating in some religious rituals while remaining a a little bit distant, maybe cold, maybe lifeless in our hearts towards the God that we're proclaiming that we follow and we love. We follow some external practices while our heart is really nowhere to be found. So we're going to look to the Word to see how uh, really uh, the heart is supposed to be in our faith, believing and, and hoping that maybe the love that we once had would be rekindled, that our hearts would be transformed, that our affections would be stirred, and, and maybe this reviving vitality would come out of our faith through this. I, um, I've thought about it a lot this last week, and, and maybe just ask you just to ponder a what-if question. I normally don't really like what-if questions, but maybe this is a time for one. What if the best days of your faith 
Or what if even the, the most affection that you have ever had for God, what if the closest you've ever felt to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was absolutely nothing compared to what could be or what is coming? I think that possibility is actually on the table. That maybe God is showing us a, a picture that if we reject half-hearted Christianity, return to the Lord with all of our hearts, and we embrace what His Word says, that our hearts will find a place that might be better than we had imagined prior. That maybe this stirring could be happening in us and do something good through God's Spirit. This is what I hope happens. This is what I hope happens in my own heart. This is what I hope happens in your heart, that God would do something through this. Uh, With this second message, we're going to look at the book of John. Now, most of the series will be in the Old Testament, uh, in a large part of that through uh, sections called the Minor Prophets. This will be the only one from uh, the, the, New, the New Testament part of the Bible. But what this is going to do, it's going to look at uh, how vital Christianity bears fruit. Vital Christianity bears fruit. So the sequence or the build so far in the series, because we kind of have a trajectory, we're not just random popcorning all over the place. What we're looking at is vital Christianity is wholehearted Christianity that bears fruit. That is the progression that the Bible shows us and that we want to embrace and ask God to do work in us through. The text in John will explain more of the how and the why of of bearing fruit, but before we try and dig into that and the nuts and bolts, there's there's always a question that's that's worth kind of thinking about before we get there, And, and here is one maybe to stir you a little bit. Have you experienced fruitfulness in your faith lately? Is, is that a reality? Have you experienced fruitfulness in your faith lately? Is that something that you could say? I know that t- terms can be vague and they can be airy and they can be a little weird, but have, have you experienced growth in your heart? Uh, have you experienced a, a change in your life? Have you, have you experienced growth in your devotion, in your submission? Have you tangibly experienced the Lord kind of molding and shaping and, and grinding off some hard edges in your heart? Have maybe you shared uh, the gospel and seen fruit come out of that? Maybe have you shared the love of, of Jesus with someone and saw him glorified? Have you felt urged by God to kind of do something as you know that he's leading and doing something in your life. There are many ways to kind of define fruitfulness, but the the question still remains, even if the question is large, is your faith producing some sort of tangible fruit right now or or not? The question boils down to, is your faith one that is bearing fruit? Or is your faith a set of beliefs, maybe ideals, habits, do's, don'ts, and and rhythms that that kind of stagnantly preside over the top of your life? I want to be careful. Again, we're not trying to shove everyone in a corner of self-loathing. If if you're going, man, I don't know if there's a lot of fruit right now. Uh, What we're instead doing is, is saying, hey, man, if there's been a long, long winter in the fruit production of your heart and soul, if nothing has, has sprouted for many, many seasons, God wants to draw himself, or you to himself so that you can be fruitful in him again. This is not about shame and crushing. This is about you walking back to the Father, abiding in him, and seeing God work in you again. This is Christ's desire from this text. He'll say it really clearly. These are Christ's words from his heart to your soul and mine about what he wants from you and me, or maybe the better way to say it is what he wants for you and me. We'll be in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. It's a decent size 
swath. So I'll just ask that you kind of stick with me as we read this. And again, this is Jesus. This is red letter. This is him speaking to us. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12 and 13, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, we learn much just in the opening words here. I am the true vine. Make sure our footing is good. This is Jesus speaking through allegory, right? Meaning he's using words and examples of vines and branches and vine dresser and fruit in order to teach us a spiritual reality. This isn't some poem. This isn't a sonnet. This isn't a a time that Jesus kind of went ADD and started talking agriculture. This is a moment that Jesus is showing us a tenet of our faith expressed through metaphor, We have to understand this text also, it's not just an allegory that may possibly do something good for some people at some points. What Jesus is laying out here is a text that applies to all believers at all times. Uh, It it isn't a rule that applies to some. It's not a proverb that is maybe kind of good advice, possibly. This presides over all of us. There are a few key pieces that we have to understand as we move through this text, right? There's a true vine, that is Jesus. A vine dresser, that's God the Father. And we see branches, those are Christians, followers of Christ. Uh, those, those are people who, who are, are following Jesus. They are, and it showed you in here, they're ones that produce much fruit. And through their fruitfulness and their connection to Jesus are considered disciples, and then we see fruit, and that this is a a formation of good that comes through your faith. To to wrap our mind more around fruit, New York Times columnist David Brooks is really helpful, and he shows us there's two main types of virtues that we can pursue in our life, two two areas or two categories that we can give ourselves to. Uh, They're they're in a large swath. One is is resume virtues, and that's on this side, and and then you can have what is called eulogy virtues, and that's on the other side. Resume virtues are, are things that you know how to do. Uh, and, and eulogy uh, virtues are, are, are things that, that you are known for because they are who you are. Uh, resume virtues aren't very hard to see if we look, especially in social media braggery and LinkedIn and all that stuff. Uh, to have a resume virtue, you could be a good manager of, of wealth. 
Maybe you're a fantastic cook. Maybe you're a successful business owner. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. Maybe you're a skilled DIYer. Maybe you're a creative uh, photography person. Maybe you are a web and graphics uh, aficionado. These are, are great things to learn to do and skills to have in your life. And resume virtues in the scale and trajectory of our whole life, they don't actually take that long. Right, right. You can you can YouTube uh, really how to do anything to kind of build resume virtues in some things. Right. You don't know how to to web design. Go go to YouTube. You can figure exactly how to do it. There are things that you know how to do, and they can be kind of mastered, or you can get kind of good at them in, in not a very long period of time. Eulogy virtues are the complete opposite. What are eulogy virtues? Uh, to be known as a gentle soul. An extremely generous person, a kind heart, an encourager, a person with beautiful character, a follower of Jesus, a devoted leader of of men and women, a a, a morally sound person. These are, are internal traits that form not in the short term, but they form over the long haul. They take a whole lot longer uh, now, fruit in these texts would be better understood as, if we're trying to, to, to get a way to understand this, fruit in these texts would be better understood as, as maybe eulogy virtues that are created through your faith. This is kind of what they're talking about. Ways that your faith marks your heart and changes even your eulogy because it changes who you are from the inside, and then things start getting produced out of who you are from the inside. Now, there's a great tension in our lives surrounding these two types of virtues, though. Because when asked, hey, what would you rather have, resume virtues or eulogy virtues? First of all, the the answer that we give with our mouth may not actually be the answer in our heart. But the answer that we know that we're programmed to give is, is, you know, I, I would rather have eulogy virtues. I'd rather, like, people cry at my funeral and say all these wonderful things about me. I, I, would, I, I would rather have a, a legacy that is meaningful because who I am is seen and there's this growth that happens there. But then the, the tension comes in this. Though most of us would say that's what we want to be known for, we spend all of our time doing the other. We spend all of our time developing resume virtues, honing skills, Studying words, ways to grow, learning hobbies, learning how to do things in life so that, so that we can maybe get better at something while we give little thought or planning and intentionality to seeking a path for fruit or eulogy virtues that are formed in our heart through our faith and through Jesus. You may ask, is it possible Is it idealistic? Is it even possible uh, to intentionally pursue fruit or eulogy virtues in your life? And the answer is yes. Character formation isn't accidental. It's just slow. It's an intentional pursuit that we give ourselves to. It just takes a long time. And there's often the rub that appears in your heart and mind. We'd rather the short-term win way more often in life. Right? We'd rather the, the, the sexiness of a compliment of, oh, you did so good, I can't believe that you know how to do that. We, we love the praise that comes with resume virtues over really eulogy virtues because often eulogy virtues maybe are said about you but never to you. And maybe they never even get said till you die. Therefore, we put a lot of our time in the short-term one. 
This bearing fruit, these eulogy virtues from faith uh, that, that come in your life, this is called discipleship. Right? This is what Jesus asked for. It's being a follower of Christ, connected to him as, as the true vine, and as he teaches us, that forms us. That's part of the idea in play here. Jesus is speaking about this in the text. He is the true vine. We are the branches all in God's uh, vineyard. He's the vine dresser. Jesus says explicitly here something, though. We, the branches, cannot bear fruit without him, the vine. Branches on their own, disconnected from their source, the vine, will grow nothing. And the vine dresser will, with these fruitless branches, it says, gather them up and throw them into the fire uh, if they're not producing or growing fruit, if there's not a yield through their healthy connection to the vine. The text also says the vine dresser will prune even the fruit that are, or even the branches that are bearing fruit. His hand will be precisely active in all of our lives. In this way, notice the interesting detail. The vine dresser is active in shaping by pruning us. So even if you're bearing fruit in your life, he doesn't walk away and go, "Good job, I'll just leave you alone and see you in eternity." The the vine dresser is constantly molding and shaping the branches. Why? So they can bear more fruit. Now, what does this mean practically? How are we to think of this? What do we do with this? So it's not just a tenant, and it can be something more in simple terms. Christians bear fruit as they connect to Jesus constantly. That's how we think of this. Through the mechanism that is the church in biblical gospel community, through connecting with Jesus and abiding in him in regular ways amongst other people, we bear fruit and produce a harvest. Are you following the way we're thinking through this, connecting to Jesus and the mechanism of gospel community is what creates fruit. You may hear that and go, well, wait, did you add something there? I didn't see that in the text. Did you, did you just add, is this a push for missional community? Because you add a gospel community, I don't, I don't see it there in the text. the implicit understanding that branches aren't alone would have been obvious to the, the initial hearers of Jesus. This is why we didn't add that. Right? Imagine you're a vine dresser. You own, a, you, you own uh, your crops, your field, all this other stuff, and then you have this vine that grows up, and it produces one branch. You're going to rip that vine out because it's a bad vine. Imagine a tree trunk in your backyard and you stare and you're like, it's so beautiful. One limb. One. It, it would have been obvious here. Automatic to the original hearers. And then if we just understand anything about agriculture and the, and the kind of metaphor and allegory that he's giving here, branches grow together as they connect to the vine, not alone. A single branched vine would have been ridiculous. And Jesus even talks about other places in the Bible. If you have a, a vine or a tree that's not producing fruit, you give it a while and you cut it down. This may be the primary reason that some of us are not bearing fruit and have not for a long time. And that is because we're trying to bear fruit as lone rangers. Solo branches on the vine, doing a couple religious routines, but doing them functionally 
alone. Yes, we're around other branches, but not really with them. Uh, again, like, like last week, there's a way to do something where your heart's not really in it. It's a risk for us. Gospel growth was never meant to be done all alone. Yes, the effort is yours alone, but that effort gets put into community, and fruit bears itself through that. We speak truth back and forth to each other. We grow with one another. Again, understanding, though, it's why we read 13 verses, and it it makes sense in here. What does it say? All of this happens, and all this fruit comes, so you can feel good about yourself? No. So the Father will be glorified. So he sees all these branches bearing fruit together, and people step back and go, look at that vine dresser and what he's created. Trying to grow in your faith alone without other people is, is not going to bear fruit. A second reason that we may be having problems with bearing fruit right now is through a form of religiosity or legalism that's formed in our hearts. I was struck by these words in a way that, that I haven't been quite before uh, in the authoritative way that Jesus says this in the text. Jesus says, I am the vine. You, you're the branches. He, he's speaking in a way that's not, because I think there's times when we read that where we think it's just like a diagram. Well, there's the vine and there's the branches. No, this, this, is, a, this is your role. This is my role. Do you know your role? This is what Jesus is saying here. You can't feed yourself. You cannot nourish yourself to a spot where you will produce fruit. You cannot sustain yourself. And if you try, it's going to be a horrible place to try and live, and you'll be fruitless in that way. Christ alone does the nourishing. And that's why it says he's the true vine. It's not meant to crush you. It's meant to go, if you don't understand and tap into that, it's going to to go really poorly for you. We tapped into that last week. The hidden consequence of half-hearted Christianity is that you start doing things uh, in your faith all alone like without Jesus. You try and mold your behavior. You try and mold your affection. You try and change your thoughts. You try and change your actions. uh, And you just kind of put your head down. You white knuckle it. And you just try and get effort in to discipline yourself. We just try. It's It's like the branch going, make fruit appear all alone. It's never gonna work. Jesus says in this text, we can do nothing without him fruit-wise. Can you do things in the world without Jesus? Absolutely. Can you bear fruit? These eulogy virtues that come out of your faith, can you bear fruit in his kingdom without him? Absolutely not. This is the fault that the, the, the legalist or, or maybe the overly religious in a bad way person kind of falls into. They do things and they believe in the doing them by participating in these routines, by, by kind of uh, standing on certain moral lines and doing certain things and participating in certain things. They assume that through all of that routine that there will be a bounty of, of fruit that will come out of that. And yet Jesus says there will be absolutely no fruit that way if I'm not involved. The branch will never blossom fruit without the vine. So if you're following, we can lack fruit out of pride in those two scenarios, both by trying to do faith alone. Are you tracking a little bit with that? We can pridefully think that we don't need other branches. I got it. Or maybe just, I don't want you in my life. Don't ask me about that. Like, I'll hang around you. Just, just we don't, we don't, I don't want you talking about that. 
Right? So we can pridefully do that, and we can also pridefully try and bear fruit by, by doing things without Jesus. Either way, pride has stepped in if either of those are the scenarios. And if, if we're honest, we, we probably vacillate between one and the other at different times. We want to focus in on the personal side of this for a moment together, on whether you are abiding in Christ, if you're connecting to Him for nourishment. And it's really easy to assume that we are doing things even when we're not. You know what I mean? Our minds easily believe things that aren't true about us, especially if they're good. The main being, we, the branches, can easily rest in fruit that we bore three years ago, six harvests ago, 70 moons ago, right? We can rest and celebrate a harvest that that happened when we wore like three different pant sizes from now, right? A long time ago in our life. When the reality is our hearts haven't connected to the vine for ages. Is that just me? You can rest on, man, I did this. God did this. I love you, brother. That was four years ago, though. See, in essence, since there was a time that I was abiding in the vine before in life, we automatically assume that that's what we're still doing in the present moment. Why? Well, because I'm still doing those religious things, right? I'm still going to church. My tithe's still set up, right? See, we can fall into believing that so we're still maintaining a, so, a certain uh, amount of, of routines in our lives, and then we haven't fallen off the rails like that person, then we'll name someone else, and if so facto, then we must be bearing fruit. See, we trick ourselves this way quite often, or maybe we just fall asleep to not realize it. No matter the reason or the way it happens, this type of branch forgets one thing. And guys, this is what my heart does at times. That Jesus says in the text, all branches are meant to bear fruit all the time. Notice the the phrasing in verse 2 and in verse 6. Abiding in Jesus leads to, it says it very clearly, much fruit. Not, Not one fruit eight years ago. Much fruit. And the Godhead will work in us no matter how much we are producing so that we will be able to be in the vine and produce more fruit. So if you're ever asking, have I arrived? Am I done producing fruit? No. Please know this isn't God trying to work you into the ground and destroy you, though. Right? If you hear that as like, man, am I just like supposed to produce like a salesman all the time? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not trying to get you to kill yourself by production. He's not a cruel master. The connotation is God can do exceedingly and abundantly more with us branches than we ever thought possible if we abide in Jesus. This isn't him cracking the whip like a, a slave master. He's a generous Savior, a generous Savior who wants to form us from the inside out into beautiful branches, not by the work of our hands, but by the work that Jesus is doing in us. We have to circle back now and ask, especially since we have a hard time maybe answering for ourselves the question, are we producing fruit right now? So here's another question that may get you to a better way to be able to answer that. What is currently forming you in life? Right, skip the question, am I, am I bearing fruit? What's currently forming you? What is discipling you right now? 
What's the vine you're connecting to? Because remember, Jesus says he's the true vine. It doesn't mean that there's not a ton of other vines out there that we're trying to connect to in our life. We'll often try to connect to, to tons of things, to find life, to find joy, to zone out, to be, find meaning or anything like that. But what are you going to right now? What are, you, what are you going to learn from? What's kind of teaching you? Where do you zone out? Where do you spend your time? What is crafting you right now? Are you constantly turning to a podcast? Right? Your, your sports podcast or your, your, uh, your, your true crime podcast, is that the thing that's always feeding you and you're always letting kind of do something in your mind? Is, is, it, is it the YouTube channel that you really, really enjoy and you're always kind of looking? That, that's a risk for, for me. Is it a political party? Lord knows that's been a lot of people's vine over the last year. Is, is it a news station? And if we're honest, the news station is not a great vine right now, no matter where you're at. Is it a blog page that you go to? Maybe it's a favorite author or influencer that you follow and you want to you see what they have to say and what they're writing and what they're doing and what they're wearing. Is, is that the vine that, that you're connecting to? Is it the never-ending whole of Facebook and that's the, the vine where you're just kind of going lifelessly all the time, believing that's going to do something good, knowing that it's actually not? Here's the point. We're always being formed. We're always being discipled. We can stand there like with this obstinate attitude, like, no, I'm just who I am. No, you're not. We're always being molded and shaped, especially by the, the things that we're taking in. So what are you taking in? What's the vine that you're going to right now? The text makes us come face to face with this right now. What's discipling you right now? Is it Jesus, the true vine that you'll bear much fruit in, or is it something else? Is it a toxic vine? Is it a lifeless vine? Is it a waste of time vine? The thing that we have to wrestle with, there's times where I've felt the tension to don't put too much weight, don't press too hard. This text is not a recommendation, it's a mandate. It's a command that we bear fruit. Why? So that God may be glorified. I mentioned it last week, a theme that will carry itself over and over each week for us, though. Yes, this is a command to bear fruit. But in the gospel and the good news, we see and we can hold on to, and it can be just this kind of, you can think of it as a cliche saying until it's not. What God requires from us, he supplies for us in Jesus. You are required to bear fruit if you're a believer. What is our reality, though? It's that we don't abide in him all the time. Our reality is that we are often half-hearted creatures, way more than we would like to admit it, that we turn to other vines and other sources and other things a lot. And in, even if we're really being honest about it, we probably at times reject that we even need to bear fruit. Ah, I don't know if I really need to do that. But this is where Jesus steps in. The text says something that's terrifying. Branches that bear no fruit, those branches will be gathered and thrown into the fire by the vine dresser. What does that mean? Exactly what you think it means. 
that God will step in and cast judgment upon fruitless branches. Their fruitlessness will not go unnoticed or unchallenged. You're like, man, are you on fire and brimstone? No. Because what's the beautiful reality of Jesus? The only perfect one, the one who abided all of the time, the one who is never half-hearted, the one who always bore good fruit, who is steadfast in his fruitfulness, allowed himself to be gathered up. He was producing fruit, allowed himself to be gathered up like he was a withered branch, and he allowed himself to be thrown into the fire of God's judgment for fruitless branches. This is the scandal of the cross. This is why Christianity freaks so many people out. It's because it's not fair. God casts the judgment that we deserve upon Jesus. Jesus lives out the life that we couldn't and then takes the punishment that we don't have to if we're in him. So when we hear commands like bear fruit, We can lean into the fact that Jesus took the penalty for the times that we don't. Some may ask, well, okay, well, if he took the punishment for us, does it matter? Maybe we wouldn't have, like, the gusto to actually ask that out loud. It's just in that back corner of our mind. Right? If the consequence is gone, why do we need to abide? Why do we need to bear fruit? Well, one, God's glory is involved, and if you love your Father, you want him to be glorified. The other side of that is bearing fruit isn't meant to be a burden, though. This is what my heart needs to hear over and over and over again. Fruit bearing is what branches that abide in God's love through Jesus do. Vital Christianity is faith of branches that lean into Christ's love, and by leading into Christ's love and his leading, God prunes and molds and shapes us so that we reside in his love in a deeper way than we ever thought we could, and we experience the change that only God could bring about us with the freedom and the security of knowing that Jesus already took our punishment when we fall on our face. It's not meant to be a burden to go for God to go, I want to do exceedingly more with your life than you could ever do without me that I want to produce in something inside of your heart for my glory with you and in my love so big that you can't even wrap your mind around it. That's not a capricious father. He has a better vision for your life than you do. To complete the trajectory for the first two weeks, half-hearted Christians are ones who get caught up in life, give God parts of their heart and time, And in that place, they don't live in and rest in the beautiful love of Jesus. And in that place, they bear no fruit. And they experience no joy. The call last week goes hand in hand, therefore, with the call this week, though, church. Return to the Lord. Right? If, if your heart is distant, if, if there's been no fruit, if there's been no uh, abiding, if you've been trying to do this whole thing on your own without ever connecting to the, the, the source, the, the call is the same, return to the Lord even now. Right now, yes, even now. Live in, lean in, be formed by a Savior who's better than you could ever imagine. This is where you grow. This is where fruit comes in your heart and mine. This is where we become revived in a way that we never thought possible. Again, for every part of you that hears that and you begin to feel trapped and shamed, Jesus' words in verse 11 kind of set the context for this. 
He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy uh, may be in you and so that your joy may be full. So he's not saying, do this or else I'm going to smash you. He's saying, I want you to have the joy that I have and I want your joy to be full. So I'm asking you to follow me and trust me that I'm I'm a better protector of your joy than you. He's not trying to take from you. He's trying to add. Here's the hope that we would lean into that. That we would be guided deeper and deeper into his love. And here's the honest reality of that. That's not always a pretty picture because sometimes it's scary. Sometimes you have to depend on him to lean into his love more. But the beauty of our faith is that's where we grow. On the tales of a really rough 2020 for many of us, right? What if the trial and the suffering of 2020, what if it wasn't meaningless? What if through that ugliness, through that chaos, God brings you to a spot where you are now here at the end of yourself going, I got nothing left. What if he uses that chaos to where you're there and you say, you know, I'm, I'm all right, I, I'm ready to abide in you. Pain, especially for believers, is never meaningless. The joy that the Bible asks you to have in pain is not joy that you're getting smashed. It's joy in knowing that God is good, and even through horrible, horrible things, he can still bring about something good. That's the hope for us. We will connect to the vine. That We will throw ourselves into the only true vine, that we will bear fruit from that, that we will lower pride where needed. If we've been trying to walk without other brothers and sisters and COVID's just kind of been a convenient excuse to extend that, that we would stop that. If we're, if we're trying to live our faith without Jesus, that we go, hey, man, I, I've tried to walk without the, the vine, and, and I'm sorry, will you mold me? Will you, will you draw me near and produce good fruit in me? Again, that is the hope. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at some practical ways this is done because we want to kind of move from the ideas of half-hearted Christianity and abiding in Jesus to, to some kind of pragmatic ways that, that abiding in fruit can take place in your life. The first in that will teach us about how abiding comes is really through vital Christianity involves true repentance. We cannot abide in Jesus without truly repenting. One of the tensions that we as a, we'll call it a reformed in doctrine church need to manage better is just because of grace doesn't mean you don't repent. It gives you the freedom to repent. But I think maybe we've misunderstood, like, oh, he's forgiven me, so I never have to apologize. I never have to turn. I never, I, I never have to let him mold me. Vital Christianity involves true repentance. The other side that will be difficult for all of us in, in probably different ways, vital Christianity includes resolute obedience even when you don't feel like it. Vital Christianity involves the fear of the Lord. And then uh, Elder Garrett will kind of close us out with the last one from Deuteronomy. Again, kind of tackling that vital Christianity will involve every single part of who you are. This is the hope that we together will lean in, that we will repent where needed, where we'll be encouraged where needed, but we will connect to our Savior in a way that just doesn't feel like church is a rhythm, but feels Him building us and producing something in us. And I pray that that would happen in all of our hearts. We stand with me today, man. You guys can come back up. We will have the opportunity to take communion again.
1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. We had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup and when a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, can I tell you that communion, the, the, the table, even if we're taking it in a different way because we have to right now, abiding happens there. As you come and go, is there still a sacrifice for me? Yes, here's the body and blood of Jesus. You're remembering that he's the only true vine, the only one who has done all of these things for you. So I would encourage you at any time, if you haven't grabbed a, one of the cups there in the, in the front way, but, but think through and pray through, okay, where's my heart been? Where's my faith been? And then come and joyfully take as you abide in him that no matter where you have been, he has still had his body broken and his blood spilled for you. I pray that you would rest in that. And that we would all rest in an abiding of Jesus more and more this year. Father, thank you for this text. I pray that you help us. We need you to do work in us. We pray that you wouldn't leave us alone, Lord. That no matter how far we try and run and do our own thing, that you wouldn't let us go, that you would draw us near to you. Lord, I pray that we would abide in you more than we ever have. Help us. Help us to, to, to be more aware of where we're spending our time, what we're going to. Lord, I pray that the things that are forming us that are not you, that we would be uh, much more keen to understand what other things are doing in our minds so that you would be the shaper that you would be the molder. Lord, we say prune us. God, prune us where need be so that we bear more fruit. Give us comfort and understanding that you were thrown into the fire of God's judgment for us. So shame is not the answer, but leaning into your grace and goodness and following you is hopeless. Please do that. God, we love you. Be glorified. We trust and know that you are keeping your church even in a crazy time. Be with us here. I pray that you would be with the family members of your home listening on the stream as well. God, I pray no matter where the church body is, that we would be drawn closer. That you would nourish us, Lord. That we produce fruit in you for your glory.